The winds were always strong in the mountains of Jasinari. But today, they were actually calmer than usual. Still, even slightly stirred, they invited more dust to fly into his robes, which only added to his frustration. One might argue that rainbow-colored robes were probably not the best choice of attire one ought to wear if one's goal was discretion. But those who knew Oliver Milnes, better known as the Provost, also knew that he was anything but discreet. He slowly stroked his long white beard, looking about angrily, unsure if his annoyance had more to do with all of the dust now peppering his garment, or the unpunctuality of the people they were supposed to be meeting. He replied to his companion, Seth Thamro, without looking at him. They will be here, young one. What makes you so certain? I have offered them the only thing in this world that actually matters. Power. Their delay suggests that they may have other priorities. Hmm, perhaps. As if on cue, two women arrived suddenly on horseback. They each tugged violently on the reins, craning the necks of the horses, causing the animals to snort and trot about restlessly, before whinnying and coming to a halt. The provost smiled, and turned to his younger companion. Perhaps not. The women dismounted their steeds, and faced the provost and Seth. Seth immediately observed that the first to approach was slightly taller than the other. He noted that she wore what would be best described as sections of a suit comprised of plate mail and dragon-scale armor. Her golden helm glistened and bore the visage of a dragon. Her fire-red hair was tied in a ponytail and cascaded down her back. Her arms, shoulders, and chest were covered in gold-colored plate-mail armor. But her midsection was completely bare, as were the majority of her legs. Seth made a mental note not to assume that her exposed skin was a point of vulnerability. Like his own bare chest, her skin itself may well have been dense enough to magically provide more than enough protection from edged weapons. On her feet, he saw that she wore golden boots, most likely painted dragon scale given their shine. Though, like all dragon scale armor, it was centuries old. A large flowing red cloak covered her back. The provost recognized the tarragon but suspiciously watched the second woman, whom he had not previously seen. He saw no weaknesses in her armor. A full suit of dragon scale, similar to the tarragons in many respects, though she wore no helmet. Dust stirred, peppering his rainbow robes, which he swatted annoyingly 
though keenly observing the new woman's red hair as it flowed openly and long down her muscled back, nearly reaching her buttocks. Strapped across her shoulder blades was, easily, the largest sword that the provost had ever seen. The weapon was made of solid gold, and its crossguard looked like the foot of a dragon. She clutched at her red cape as the winds continued to stir, keeping it from flapping out of control. The women's horses, though tethered to nothing, remained in place as they approached with caution. You are late, the provost admonished, looking down his nose at them, tiptoeing to the full extent of his six foot five inches of height. The tarragon smiled at his attempt at intimidation before responding, This is exactly when I planned to be here. The provost looked at the second woman and gave a dismissive, underhanded gesture in her general direction. Who is this lost tarragon? I told you to come alone. We could ask you the same, said the tarragon, eyeing the provost's young companion. He looks like he's twelve. What are you doing, running a daycare? The least he could do is take that mask off. It's creepy. Seth stared at them with glowing white eyes that were without pupils, but gave no other reaction. The black tassels of his full mask cracked like a bullwhip as the winds had their way with them. The tarragon studied the young man's black tactical pants and steel-plated black boots. She noted that his hands were wrapped in dirty beige linen cloth all the way down his forearms, nearly to his elbows. In fact, the only thing of vibrant color he wore was a large golden belt that boasted a sizable crimson T over the front of it. On his hip he carried an enormous scabbard that housed an equally large blade. The second woman eyed the symbol on his belt and inquired, What's the T stand for? Tardiness, apparently, the provost quipped. Did we come here to discuss my compatriot's attire, or your desire to grow your influence? Dragon-worshipping cults tend to fade when there are no dragons around to worship. The women glanced at each other and exchanged smiles. We did our part, Oliver. Did you now? You delivered the scroll to the Shrine of Boral Cain, as we discussed? Yes, we did. Interesting that I do not see a dragon roaming the skies. Are you certain it was the correct shrine? The provost's mocking tone was so thick, it may as well have been foliage. The second woman stepped up to Oliver and got in his face. Are you accusing my sister of lying? The provost smiled locking eyes with the second woman. I suggest you rethink your life, whomever you are. I do not need to accuse your sister of anything. The skies themselves betray her. If either of you had actually delivered the scroll, then there would be an onyx dragon flying above us even now. Point of fact, I know you could not have delivered the scroll to Cain's shrine. No one knows its location. The second woman turned to face her sister. What did I tell you? You can't trust him, Regina. He has been testing us this entire time. Of course I was testing you, Dullard. 
Did you think I would hand over the power to control an adult Onyx dragon to just anyone? The provost replied. The tarragon laughed and gently pulled Angelica away from the provost. <laughs> Why the deception? Why tell us to find a shrine that you already knew that no one could find? To make a point? To posture? I wanted to see if you would lie to me, and of course you did. I know I cannot... <laughs> Before he could finish speaking, an animal's roar was heard from high above, followed by the sound of a wing flap that was so powerful that the ground beneath them shook from the vibrations. The provost gasped and looked skyward. Elyon's beard. The women smiled and folded their arms. They waited patiently for the provost to look away from the sky and meet their gaze once more. I stand corrected. How did you locate the shrine? We didn't. You were right, Oliver. No one in the realm knows where that place is. And if anyone does know, they aren't willing to share the information. Frankly, we got lucky. Borrow Kane has a first apprentice. Wonders do never cease, do they? I had no idea taken on a student. You gave this apprentice the scroll to deliver then? Does it matter? What matters is that there is a dragon flying above us even now. A dragon we cannot control. It is time for you to do your part. The provost smiled. The tarragon rolled her eyes. And Angelica drew her golden blade and placed the tip of it directly across the left eye of the provost. He did not so much as blink. In six days, that dragon is going to be fully grown. We need to be teaching it to do our bidding. You promised us a dragon, Provost. And it appears I have delivered. Controlling said dragon was never part of our deal. Only that I would contend with the one person in Welkin who might be able to reverse what we have done. That was our agreement. That, and the fact that our order would be in your debt. We haven't forgotten that minor detail. See that you do not, the provost said. Controlling the dragon requires very simple mental magic that any white-robed initiate could achieve. I can teach you what you need to know. For a price, of course. Angelica sheathed her sword and held up her hand to prevent the tarragon from speaking. We're in debt enough to you as it is. We'll figure it out, Grandpa. Thanks, but no thanks, she said. The provost smiled at the tarragon. Suit yourself, Agena. My title is Tarragon. Only my friends call me Agena, Oliver. The provost raised an eyebrow and smiled coyly at her. Oh, are we no longer friends, my dear? How terrible for you. The tarragon rolled her eyes. You know how to contact me when you change your mind, Tarragon, the provost said, before adding, Time is of the essence, though, my dear. But I am certain that it is likely of little concern to one who arrives exactly when she intends to, yes? Yes.